We all are wounded by our parents. And I say that as a parent. Part of that process is wounding. Part of the process of separating ourselves and growing into our own personhood is learning how to integrate and make choices about the messages that we received. You know, we started by talking about the business and talking about money and your relationship with money and, and it's the way in which it, it, it warped your leadership choices. And now what we're really talking about is your relationship with your parents, individually and even the parents who live in your brain, who live in your mind. And, you know, Derek, all you have are the choices that you make as it relates to the voices you hear. Because your dad is not going to be different. And your mom's not going to be different. And in a sense, we're not even sure we want them to be different. Because there are wonderful aspects about both of them. Welcome to the Reboot Podcast. We are so glad you're here. It's so hard to believe that we are approaching our third anniversary of making this podcast. I just want to say again, thank you to everyone for inviting us into your lives. And I really hope that listening to these shows has been as helpful and enjoyable as it has been for us to make them. I really feel a great deal of pride when I go back and listen to all of our episodes, and though I do always skip my voiceovers. And we know that not everyone has had a chance to listen to every conversation, and we know that some likely got lost in the shuffle. So we thought that it might be a good time to re-release some of our more popular episodes. So today we're going to be reposting one of our most popular, which also happens to be our very first. And that's with greatest founder and CEO, Derek Flansrick. Listening to this conversation again brought up a whole bunch of memories for me. One really stood out in particular. I can still remember this one Tuesday in March in 2007. I just logged into my affiliate account and I tallied up all the numbers for February. The total profit for this one campaign I ran the previous month, 42636 And how did I feel when I read that? Shame. Tons and tons of shame. For as long as I can remember, I've always been drawn towards understanding how businesses can work. And I've always enjoyed deconstructing them. And as a result, I could always find a way to generate an income for myself. But I had a very predictable pattern during that time. I would understand how something was working. I would do it, make a little bit of money or break even, feel tremendous guilt and shame. Then I'd quit. Start, make money, shame and guilt, quit. Rinse, repeat. So the obvious question, the question I asked to my coach, Jerry, who I just started working with at the time was, why? Why the shame? As Jerry and I worked to explore the source of my waffling between these two positions, which was the desire to make money and the guilt I felt when I actually did, it became clear that the dynamic was rooted in my upbringing. So we spent some time getting familiar with my inner mom and my inner dad. How could I integrate the curious, lifelong learner, always in pursuit of meaning, represented by my inner mother, with the equally curious and entrepreneurial voice represented by my inner father? How could I find a way forward that would not appeal to one and anger the other? How could I find my way instead of getting caught between their ways? Derek Flanswright has had his own journey integrating the inner mom and inner dad. And for years, his inner dad did his own version of shaming Derek, especially around the company finances. Derek tried all kinds of ways to manage that shame in order to avoid it, but nothing seemed to work. At every turn and every attempt, he was reminded of the ways in which he was not like his father, and it was hurting him and hurting the business. So Derek's question to Jerry and himself was the same question I asked, why the shame? In this conversation, Jerry and Derek explore his purpose behind greatest, Derek's journey of radical self-inquiry as a leader, And they asked the question to the parents living in his head, how can Derek find his way instead of your way? Enjoy.
I'm John Greenfield, and I lead people operations and business development here at Psychic. The Circle's experience as a whole has been great. What I said to Dan was secret superpower. I feel like I've got this invisible group of people supporting me at my job and, you know, in some ways, different life. It's a neat little secret for me that you have that extra support. If you think Circle's might be the right thing, trust that feeling. Find your secret superpower like John with your own Reboot Circle. Groups are filling quickly for fall, including those for head of people, CTOs, CEOs, and more. To learn more and apply, go to reboot.io slash circles. So it's good to have you here, Derek. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Sure. Why don't you take a few seconds to just give us a little bit of... uh, where you're coming from and, and tell us a little bit about the companies just so that we have some context for this conversation. Yeah. So, um, I'm now nearly three and a half years into founding a company called greatest. It's a health and wellness media startup. Um, so basically what we do is produce very high quality content on, uh, fitness, health and happiness. Um, and it's been, a you know, a roller coaster ride. We now reach well over 5 million unique visitors a month which means we're a very big site. We've raised, um, you know, $2.5 million. We have 14 people. We um, are trying to build the next generation health media company. <laughs> but it's been a wild ride so far and hopefully just the beginning of, of, of much more to come. Yeah, well, it's, it sounds like it. Um, Five million uniques is a lot. Um, you know, congratulations on that. That's amazing. Thanks. Yeah. So tell me what you wanted to talk through today. Yeah, well, I think um, a lot of different things that have happened on the personal level that I've realized have been extremely impactful on my professional life. Um, I think in a way that has been more uh, obvious, (laughs) maybe, than ever before. Um, And I think, you know, went on that CEO boot camp now guess it's over a year ago. Maybe uh, around actually, a year not ago. even quite. It was last October, yeah. so it's about, uh, about 10 months. Yeah. So 10 months. So I'd say the last 10 months have been, you know, I was, I think it came, hit me at a really important point where I was really starting to think about, you know, how my, uh, like who I wanted to be as a leader, who I was as a leader, and how those things were very interrelated. And um, it sort of set me off on a journey, I think, um, of both personal and professional discovery. But in uh, a particularly, I think, poignant example has been financially, because um, I don't think I would have been comfortable saying uh, this until relatively recently, but I really haven't cared about making money for a very long time and at all. And um, I thought that caring about money, in fact, was bad, really. Um, And a part of that, uh, I mean, where it all stems from was my personal relationship with with money and, um, you know, my family experience and my experience growing up. And that has influenced me in a kind of crazy way um, (laughs) in terms of how I look at the money in my business. And so, you know, that's sort of the background. And then, you know, uh, flash to, you know, three, four months ago where I'm sitting there and suddenly realized that the person who was in charge of making money at greatest, um, who was, you know, our chief revenue officer at the time, hadn't brought any money in for eight to nine months, um, you know, negligible amounts of money, even though that had been his job and we were meeting every weekend to talk about the numbers and look at how it was going. And he was working very hard and meant very well. It was only then when I really realized where we were and uh, looked at the money in the bank and said, well, we're running out of money. And um, how did I let this, how did this happen? Well, I, I, I have two questions. Both of which you can hold rhetorically for now. How did it feel? And I guess it's the same question. How did you not know that that was happening? How did I not know? You think it's related to your relationship with money? I think it is 100% related. 
I didn't know it at the time, but in um, as a part of sort of my work into at the end of last year, um, I decided it was time to finally start um, facing the fact that I wasn't taking a salary and was living ultimately, you know, uh, a life that was completely funded by my parents. Um, All right. So I just want you to pause because you know me yes. and my spider sense is tingling. How did it feel? What If you could identify the underlying emotion, what was the emotion that you felt when you did realize that you were running out of money and that you hadn't been paying, let's call it close enough attention to that? Um, just like a failure. Oh, boy. I mean, I think, I think that's no, and like an idiot, right? Like embarrassed and. Yeah, I felt um, the shame. I felt your shame. Shame. I think shame is probably the best. But, you know, I think, I think failure in like a, to me, failure is, is shameful, <laughs> I guess. Um, I think, I think shame is, shame is the, um, you know, shame, right? Because um, what we're doing is, is what I'm trying to build is so important and the people that are alongside the journey and have made it possible care so much about making it happen. And it's my job to get us there. And, um, you know, it's so silly to let personal challenges and personal frustrations and personal weaknesses and inadequacies affect um the business, but that's almost always why we run into hiccups and issues. Yeah, yeah, Derek, I mean, if if it was truly silly, then I would have no business. Uh, um, (laughs) Welcome to being human. Yes. What what is silly, which is, I'm not too comfortable with that word, but what is unreasonable is to expect that those personal constructs are not going to affect the business. Yes. Yes. The problem is that you don't always know what the personal constructs are yet. Exactly. Rem- it's the unknown the- unknowns. Right. Re- right. Remember my, yeah. my, my formula, right? Practical skills plus radical self-inquiry. The self-inquiry yeah. process is like, who the fuck am I? And what am I working with here? Right. And so what we know is that you've got from childhood – a very interesting relationship with money. So much so that you probably negated the, call it the pursuit of money, as somehow negative, as a bad thing. Which then let, because it was less pure. Which then led to you not paying attention to the sustainability of the business. Right? Because I think if I could go out on a limb here, I think you associated greed, which is a completely different emotion, with having a practical, pragmatic, healthy relationship with the sustainability that money enables. Yes. I mean, I think greed uh, and superficiality, maybe, um, Oh, look at look, look look at the look at the rock and the hard place you put yourself in between. Yeah. On the one hand, if you pursued it, you were greedy and superficial. And on the other hand, because you didn't pay close enough attention to it, you're worthy of shame. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I just think that. The space and I've been I'm very much I think of myself as like an impact driven, um, vision driven entrepreneur. The truth is, and again, I don't think I could have said this um, probably a month ago, maybe two months ago. But the truth is that you cannot make an impact without creating wealth. And to create the unbelievable impact that I intend to make. I'm going to need to make an unbelievable amount of wealth to support it. And uh, you can't, you know, you can't take the two um, apart from each other. 
And I sure wanted them to not be the same. <laughs> I sure wanted to try. Um, I think, um, you know, I think it, it like literally, I cannot, I'm a smart guy. I was looking at the numbers, right? I did not understand that you're supposed to look at the finances and the money in the bank. Every right? week. Obviously. Every week. Right. right. And I was, right? It wasn't like I wasn't. It's the problem is that the numbers didn't mean anything to me, you know, that I wasn't attributing any meaning to them other than, okay, um, you know, let me outsource it completely to somebody who, you know, maybe isn't a little over their heads, maybe isn't meant to do this. But let me just hope like a prayer that he's going to figure it out. Um, let me hope that something happens where suddenly everyone wants to, you know, throw money at us or or one of these new things that we're sort of half-assedly trying really works. But for so long, I had trained a team to not care about making money in any way and to think of it as bad. Think of it as something that was um, in you know, in conflict with creating pure, high quality content, in conflict with creating a brand people trust, in conflict with building, you know, a a uh, brand and business that makes a difference in health, right? Um, or period. What was so threatening to you about the notion of pursuing money for money's sake that you would reject? the discipline that financial that financial discipline creates well go take me back a little bit to this relationship to money that you first hit upon so yeah i mean the the long story short of that at least as i understand it um is you know that my dad grew up penniless my mom was an immigrant from russia they, my dad ended up, he's, in, he's the smartest person I've ever met in my life. And he ended up um, building a lot from nothing. And I saw that within my lifetime. I saw him, how hard he worked, how, you know, how many hours he spent, you know, traveling away from us and eating dinners at 11 p.m. because that's when he would come home from work as a family. Um, and, and he made all this money and uh, doesn't really care about it. That was, that was never his thing. His thing was not making a lot of money. I don't think he had driven in that way. Um, but my mom lo- loves it. And so she's all about spending it. And I think that the um, my mom is an amazing woman, super smart, super capable. But she finds she places a lot of value on it. And so she always wanted me to act a certain way. She wanted our family to do certain things. And I have always had a very visceral reaction to very visceral reaction to money for the sake of money and flaunting wealth and uh, being in certain circles. I don't know why. There's no reason. Does, I it, grew up does it remind you of your mother to do in, that? In what? Which part? To flaunt money or to pursue money. Yes, that's that's what I mean. I mean that's she loves that, right? She she whether she really loves it or whether she believes she loves it, that's um the world she wants to play in. And so my dad sounds, definitely has no interest. So it sounds like I, you you you, yeah. you 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 were balancing two impulses, one to not be like your mother mm-hmm. and the other to be like your father. Yeah. And and obviously, as with all things, in some ways, the other way around. Well, and right, because in because she's this, lovely and everyone loves her and she's the life of the party. And, you know, she's like the per- world's perfect socialite. And uh, but she that's and that's important to her. My dad is ha- content to do none of those things <laughs> to sit in a room and watch a movie every night, the same movie every night. Like that's that's great for him. And so, you know, I think of myself as a little bit of both sides. I think they probably would say the same thing. Um, And um, the fear. What is my fear? I think I think the fear is that I can that I am not like my dad and can't make money. There we go. Um, I think that is probably I think that is probably the largest fear. Right. I think the fear is that I. you know, how can I build something that's bigger and better, which he wants me to, you know, 
Yeah, but 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 the fear is the voice in your head is telling you you can't, and the way you make perhaps the way you make peace with that voice is to say that's unimportant to me, and you supported that voice by saying I'm going to have the same sorts of values as my dad, but there's a falsity there, and the falsity is that you didn't believe that you were your father's son. Right, in that I, I think there's a re, you know, in in. There's no way I can ever do what he did. Okay, when are you going to stop comparing yourself to him? I'm trying. <laughs> you know, Derek. Um, Derek, it, you know, it's irrelevant whether you can yeah. succeed him or surpass him is irrelevant. What is it that you want more than anything else from him? You know, love, support. The opposite feeling of the shame? Yeah, of course. Okay. Um, so early on, when Greatest first started, I, like, you know, many founders, raised money from friends and family. And, um, including them? Including my father. And it really, I think, warped a lot of the relationship um, in, like, a very surprising way. Um, my dad is, um, I would say he's not terrific at showing... Um, I don't think he knows really well how to care about other people. I think he wants to, but he just doesn't know. It's just not a thing he's very good at. And um, so he really likes lecturing and he's brilliant. He's a brilliant business guy, no doubt. He's been very successful. But he and wasn't he, home for dinner. But he wasn't home for dinner, right? And 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 he, you know, intended to be, right? Yeah. But he wasn't. Um, and it wasn't like he was trying to get away. It's just the opposite. But this is like, he's like, a, you know, he's a workaholic. And, and anyway, I think that the, the, the key was that it suddenly was like, I was like sparring with someone who's asking me questions about my business instead of really just wanting someone to say, Hey, I hear you. This is hard. And I've been there. Um, or, you know, maybe think about this, maybe think about that. Have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? As opposed to, well, everyone knows this is what you should be doing. And I don't know. So it created a very interesting dynamic, I think, in which in, and, you know, I would avoid my calls with him and would avoid talking with him about it because I, I started feeling like the relationship that I wanted was not here. You know, notice and the I, relationship between those feelings and that shame. I mean, I think I, I felt when I talked with him about my business, I think I felt very ashamed. Yeah. Um, even when, even when I don't think I had any reason to feel ashamed. Right. But, um, yeah, I mean, no doubt. I think, I think, um, and I don't think he was like putting that on me. I think that's me, you know, um, I think it's that little boy trying to figure out how he's going to get his dad to come home for dinner. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for the right reasons, right. right? I think that's, I think that's the hard part is that, you know, we've had, you know, externally now pretty good measures of success. You know, we've raised a lot more money than he, he and my family ever invested many times over. Right. And, and, and from people he's didn't know and I didn't know, um, we won a Webby, you know, like all this, like, you know, increasingly getting like very big public, um, attention. And so now he says he's very proud of me. Right. And he's, he's, um, excited about it. And, and, um, but I, you know, I think the, it matters a lot less sort of what somebody says. It matters a lot more how, um, they show the real care and support. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, he could come to home to dinner early, but if he's not really there and he's not really knowing, you know, to give and care and ask, um, what's the point, you know? Yeah. 
So your dad's not a client. And in this moment, it's just you and me, right? So, and this is all you've got is you and someone like me. We all are wounded by our parents. And I say that as a parent. Part of that process is wounding. Part of the process of separating ourselves and growing into our own personhood is learning how to integrate and make choices about the messages that we received. You know, we started by talking about the business and talking about money and your relationship with money and, and it's the way in which it, it, it warped your leadership choices. And now what we're really talking about is your relationship with your parents, individually and even the parents who live in your brain, who live in your mind. Right. And, you know, Derek, all you have are the choices that you make as it relates to the, the voices you hear. Because your dad is not going to be different. And your mom's not going to be different. And in a sense, we're not even sure we want them to be different. Because there are wonderful aspects about both of them. Absolutely. So what, what you're left with is raising your consciousness about the ways in which it impacts you, as you've been doing, as you've been going through this very deeply powerful crucible moment of who the hell am I as a leader? And to say, I have some choices I'm going to make. And one choice, one action you can take is to catch yourself when you compare yourself, not only to your dad, but the internalized expectation of who you're supposed to be that you received from them, intentionally and otherwise. Mm -hmm. Because the truth is, you will always fail in comparison to those images. Always. It's like the end of the tunnel that keeps getting further and further away. Because there's no amount of money in the world that's going to make up for not feeling his pride. Of course. Right? Yeah, you're right. So... You can choose now, and you can start to reshape the way you relate to them, and not just them as real people, but them as the sort of personification inside of you, and say, I choose to take from them the lessons that are really powerful, your father's independence, your father's ability to, to make his own way regardless of the obstacles. Yeah, his business sense is probably good, but you know what? His independence is probably stronger. Yeah. Take that. And then, you know, from your mom, there's a joy about life. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right? That's okay. <laughs> and then some. <laughs> yeah. All of our work is to take what happened to us and shape our own self question is not how are you going to be like your father or not like your mother or like your mother and and the question is how are you going to be Derek and who is that guy but that's a that answering that that question is um is a journey too right I mean and I think maybe the thing that stuck with me most a couple things that really stuck with me most from just a little under a year ago um, was this idea of, you know, the, it's my job to really be the calmest person in the room. Um, so that's really stuck with me. And I don't think I was then. And I think, I believe I'm on, you know, the path to, to getting there. But the second one that I think is particularly relevant is that it's just never over. <laughs> like the answer to that question is it's never answered. And, you know, in many ways, my approach to this, you know, figuring out the financial part of this business, which in the past was, you know, moving it aside, handing it to someone else, putting it in someone, you know, ignoring it, 
um, has been to really take it all on myself to even though it's uncomfortable and it's hard and, and, uh, you know, I was noticing even like I go through, you know, last week I realized that when it wasn't my schedule, I literally, when I have 10 tasks, I will do all five that are not related to money, you know, and then, and then be left with those and like push them off. So unless I'm so focused on, Hey, this is a thing I need to address and deal with right now. Um, by the way, it turns out I'm actually pretty good at it. <laughs> like we've had an incredible two months. The minute I started really paying attention to it, if no one knows the business better than me. No one can sell the business better than me. We've had, we've made more money in the last two months than we've made in all of greatest combined. Not a joke. It's real. It's a real number. That's the power of paying attention. It's the power of paying attention. So, and, but, um, but go take me back. Why is it so, what happens to you in that moment when you start to think about it? You said something before about, uh, not really liking it, not really understanding it. Did you use the word blurry? I just wrote that word down, so that may have been a projection on my part. No, okay. What happens when you Why start not? looking yeah. at financial-related issues? Um, what happens? I think I have spent so long trying to create an identity for me as the guy who's the idea guy, the creative guy, the manager guy, um, and not the financial money guy. Like I've caught myself, I say all this, like as a joke, I'll say stuff like, well, you know, but I'm not good at numbers and stuff like that, right? Um, and it's like such a decided, that's not who I am, that when I'm suddenly facing the spreadsheet, it's, um, unless I've really, it's, uh, I click away, right? It's just, it's like this very bizarre, not bizarre. I mean, I think it's, um, what happens thinking about this blurry thing. I don't know if it gets blurry in so much as it just is, um, my interest and excitement and, um, I think I'm just always scared. I'm not going to be good at it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and so maybe that just returns right back to where we were before. Well, I, I want to tell you a quick story. When I was a boy, I did very, very well in school, mostly A's. Um, I, I, I failed penmanship in second grade. I went to Catholic school and one actually could fail penmanship. So that was a, that was a story. What's, what's penmanship? Is that, is that when you write emails? Yeah, right. It's typing emails. And then uh, eighth grade came around, and this was back in the day when, when students were really tracked. And so there was the smart group, and then there was the sort of not-so-smart group, and then, then there was the, the really not-smart group, right? It's a horrible system. And even though they didn't label it as such, we all knew, right? You knew. And so there was a tradition in my school that the smart group, when they got to eighth grade, got to do ninth grade math. We got to do algebra. And we started the year and we had a new math teacher come in. And she was such a math enthusiast that she wanted to do ninth grade math, algebra for everybody. Because she loved math. And she wanted us all to love math. And that the eighth grade math was actually kind of boring. And that algebra was kind of interesting. And being a leader, as I was, I was actually student body president. And I'm really ashamed to tell you what I'm about to tell you. I was an elitist son of a bitch. I very articulately made the case that we should not change the tradition and that the smart kids should be the only ones allowed to study algebra. Well, she taught me a lesson. She agreed. She started teaching us the algebra just the way it would have always been done. And one by one, every one of us experienced enormous failure. Because what she did was she made it really, really tough. Now I'm grateful for that lesson because I learned about being an elitist. I learned about my own ego structure. But there was a negative consequence to that. I went from feeling very comfortable about math to believing, as you did, that I'm not good at numbers. And when I became an adult, 
I would shy away from those things. And it took me a long time to really understand that numbers and dollars are just another form of language to tell stories. And that if I could face my own sense of shame, not only about my elitism, but really what I carry to this day, which is a sense that I'm not good at that. So I'm going to avoid anything that makes that reminds me of something I'm not good at. Does this resonate with you? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that the... I think that for me, my fear has been always around being good enough at a lot of stuff, but not amazing at any of them. Um, you know, I was a pretty good student. I did well enough in all my math classes. I was never the worst. I was never the best. I, um, in fact, I think I always felt like there were smarter people there, but I also knew I was among the best writers, never the best, but you know, like that was always my stronger thing. And, you know, it wasn't until I found like starting and running things (laughs) that I realized, wow, like, you know, this is something I could be the best at. And, um, in many ways, I think I'm terrified, you know, I think I can do every, anything. Like my belief is that you, I can do whatever, right? Like I needed to make money. I can do it. I could figure out how to do it. But I also know that my job is not to do everything. And in fact, if I try, um, that I'll, you know, probably die by the age of 35. No, um, you know, that well, what if, what if you're not the best at everything? I, I'm, I, I'm, I can't, nobody can be. Yeah. But uh, what if you're not, what if you're not the best at fundraising? What if you're not the best at st- starting something? Who are you? By the way, founder of a company called greatest. Yes. What the fuck is that? <laughs> <laughs> Spelled differently. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but maybe that says more. Um, I'm confident, but yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think then I'm just like everyone else. And what's wrong with that? Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, I mean, logically, I want to say, of course, nothing. But what does your heart say? But emotionally, that's not me. Ah, That's not the me that you want me to see you as. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's not what I was meant. It's not what I'm here to do. Like I, there's some part of me that feels, um, I've been blessed and given certain skills and abilities and I've been born into a family that could support and, 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 invest in me and and um i have this like so if you don't if you don't achieve that greatness you're not then therefore you're not living up to your purpose or your potential what is it i don't you know i think greatness what is greatness i don't you know i think for me the most satisfying thing has been touching people on some kind of scale, helping them do something easier or laugh a little more. Um, so I want you know. to, I, I want to bring your, I'm going to interrupt you because I want to bring your attention to, to yourself. How are you yeah. feeling when you connect into the, the phrase, the most satisfying thing is touching people? I'm not sure. That seemed like, not totally sure. <laughs> um, I don't know if that felt right. Um, I am excited. I mean, I get very passionate about the opportunity to reach people on a massive scale. I think that's really um, something that I have this real, you know, built greatest because I want to um, and intend to change the way people think about health. Why is that important to you? Because I was like a fat kid growing up and felt like no one was delivering the message I most wanted to hear about it. So you're trying to uh, save the little Derricks who are still running around there? A hundred percent. Okay. So um, stay and, with that. That's purpose. Yeah. No, I'm trying to save them. I'm trying to save what a lot of them grew into. I think 
um, and trying to, you know, um, uh, build something for them to, that they can trust and turn to, that can guide them the right way. Um, and there's never been more little Derricks <laughs> than ever before, ever. There's never been more. And there are only more of them coming. You know? So do you have to be the best? Do you have to be the greatest? Do you have to be the most successful to save those Derricks? And by the way, that's a leading question, and I acknowledge that. Um, I do not have to be those things to make the difference that I want to make. So hold on to purpose. Purpose will guide you through the morass of feelings that get raised here. Greatest could be the second greatest and save a hell of a lot of Derricks. It's true. Right. What greatest, if greatest is the second best, what it won't do is close the wound in your heart as it relates to your father. But it depends on how I define that, right? Yes. See, the, the work of closing the wound in your heart is your work. It's how you define it. Absolutely. That's right. The work of saving the Derricks, that's the work of the company. Yeah. If you can take satisfaction and purpose and meaning from saving those kids, you'll go a long way to healing. Yeah, and that's my mission, you know. That's it, buddy. It's not my dad's, right? It's not my mom's. They don't really care. <laughs> it's it's like, not their mission. It's not their this mission. is yours. Yeah. This is, this is what the divine tapped you on the shoulder to do, not them. Yeah. Yeah. No, and, and I don't know quite how or why, but, um, you know, even even the it's my mission, but I'm not the only one who shares that mission. Right. That's I mean, that's right. what's what's amazing is that I, you know, even if I was the best at everything, um, I'd be only one person. You know? That's right. So now what you're tapping into is this other part of who you are, which is the part that inspires other people. The part that magnetizes resources and people around you for that shared sense of purpose. You know, you need a hell of a you need a hell of a coalition and a hell of a community to to bring this to the world, right? And and those and, little Derricks need that coalition, and they need it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and um, you know the. The challenges that I'm going through now, this deeply, profoundly personal ones, um, are, you know, I went through some really tough ones as a, as a kid struggling, my, you know, struggling my way, uh, arm and a cast over three years, you know, not a single friend, right? Like, you know, I remember so clearly sitting on the sidelines, uh, you know, during recess because no one wanted to come talk to me and, and feeling so alone. And, and I think that little Derek, right. Um, he was looking for a friend, right. He was looking for a friend. He was looking for help. He was looking for support. And, um, in the thing that he started getting excited about, it was like, there was nothing there, right. Nobody was talking to people in a way, everyone, you know, I say sometimes that, the world was trying to define what healthy should look like for me, but I wanted to define what it looked like for myself. Um, I think that's greatest. What it's all about, right. Is, is saying it's okay to um, not have six pack abs. And, and that's, that's what this is about, right. And this is what greatest, literally that's why it's, it's greatest, right. It's I with an IST. It's not an accident. It's someone who's working on being great, just like an artist works on art. It's somebody who's you don't have to be the greatest, which is literally the whole point of this right now. But here it is, like, built into the name of my company, right? Like, you don't have to be that. But you can be a greatest and, you know, make and and work hard and try to do the right thing because that is ultimately what will lead to happiness and satisfaction and longer-lasting health and, you know. Um, so what I hear you saying is learning to – to, to push yourself, but also accept yourself, to integrate the totality of who you are is a path to that, what you would call being the greatest. Is that right? 
Yeah, and you know, it's not about the choices you make; it's why you make them. Okay, right? so say that what you that's just said. Literally, like our. It's literally my business's mission, and it's like you know, could you think of anything that's more like exactly the same for for right? you? I know it's terrifying. This is like it's like a, it's like an eerie. It's not it's eerie. It's, you know what not, it is. You know what it is. All of our businesses, all of our art, all of our expressions in the world are expressions of the inner landscape, right? Steve Jobs struggled as much as he did to create perfection. What was he trying to save? Who was he trying to save, right? He was described as a bag of broken glass. And so every piece of hardware he created was absolutely beautiful. Okay, this is the way of humanity. Right. And so we write to ourselves the story that we need to hear. You have created an entity and and what is powerful and the reason you get five million uniques. Is because you've tapped into universal truths. And the universal truth is that we are not comfortable with who we are. And that we must rail against the world and, and, as David White says, and its harsh need to define you, to tell you what's right and what's wrong. Because at base, that's what you're exhorting people to do. Define health and wellness for yourself. Be informed. Be empowered. But ultimately, define it for yourself. And, yeah, and defy how other people are trying to define it for that's you. Right. That's right. Isn't it amazing how our core sense of purpose reinforces for us every single day, not only what the reason for the business is, but who we really are? This is what you're about. Well, and and that's also probably the the definition of core sense of purpose, right? Of course it does, because that's, we are all here for a reason, I believe, right? Um, And the more I learn about who I am and how it all comes together, there's this, um, so I have a, in, in my apartment, I have this Kandinsky photo that's called circles within circles. I love Ken Kandinsky. My family's Russian. And anyway, I think he's amazing. And he was this, um, synesthete. So he saw music, uh, and colors. They were like the same to him. And, um, there's this image that I've had up in my room now for like a year in my apartment for a year and a half. And it's this circle, like big black circle. And in, in the middle are all these, like it's a whole smattering of other colorful circles. And I don't know why I was drawn to it. I don't know why, why, but I love that painting as so I put it up. And then I was staring at it, you know, this was two days ago, I was staring at it and I went, well, you know, there's so many of these circles and there were some are on top of it, one another, and some of them are overlaying one of them, and and they're all kinds of different colors, and it, it looks like nothing, but it's all encapsulated in this larger circle, and it somehow is like so together, and it fits, and it's beautiful, and it's beautiful, and it's crazy, but it's beautiful, right? And and um, for some reason I was sitting there, and I was like, oh yeah, that's like that's like all of us. We're all exactly like this. We're all exactly like that. We've got all these different circles, feelings, emotions, but then the day we're this one person and that's okay. And that's good. And in fact, right. Like, um, you know, that's, it's, it's our job to recognize this larger circle and say, Hey, we, uh, this is who I am. This is what makes me up. And, and this is all of this makes, you know, uh, me who I am. And, and it's all, it's all good, right? It's all, it's all good. It's all driving towards one thing. You know, it's all driving towards, um, something. Don't ever underestimate the power of your subconscious to give you exactly what you need when you need it. You just have to pay attention to those messages. It's like when the dream comes to you and when you really explore the dream, you realize the answers in the dream. This experience is exactly what you needed to go through to actually re-examine your relationship with money. Greed and creating a sustainable business are not the same thing, my friend. 
Your job is to create a sustainable container for the business so that you can then achieve the purpose. Oh, yeah. It's not wealth. It's sustainable container. Now, that may mean extra money in the bank, but it's about sustainability. It's about making sure that there's a tomorrow in the company. And I think about exerting control, right? Not being out of control, right? Um, Discipline, structure. Remember something. Container without content is pointless. And content without container is ineffective. So you need purpose, but you need the sustainable container. Otherwise, you'll never deliver what you're trying to deliver. Which is content inside of a container, by the way. That's right. That's right. Literally, that's all we do. That's our job. Well, we need need to start to wrap, unfortunately, because I got to get ready for another call. But I can't thank you enough for your openness and your vulnerability here. It, it for me, it's it, it's an amazing privilege and an honor to talk with you about this, and and uh, I hope it was helpful. It was, um, and thank you. Oh, it's you know, as I say, it was an honor, and we will stay in touch. Will you keep me up to date and email me and let me know? You know I will. All right, my friend. It's good seeing you again. Likewise. Thank you. All right. Be well. Take care. If you enjoyed this episode, go to reboot.io slash podcast to listen to all three seasons of our podcast conversations and leave us a review on iTunes. That's the best way for other people to find and enjoy the show just as you have done. And don't forget to join our mailing list at reboot.io slash sign up so you never miss an episode. Thank you for listening. How long till my soul gets it right? Can any human being ever reach that kind of light? I call on the resting soul of Galileo, king of night vision, king of insight. Are you in the midst of a major life change and feeling alone in that quagmire of feelings? Are you longing for more meaning in your personal or professional life? Or are you already in the midst of the turmoil and excitement of a business or role transition? Join Reboot's guides, Jim Marsden and Jade Shear, this September 18th through 26th for a -a one-of-a-kind eight-day adventure in Telluride, Colorado, a Reboot quest. You'll emerge with more clarity and more you. Learn more at reboot.io slash quest.